The thing that these groups want are community and they want to bring people together. They want, you know, mentorship, connection, you know, the word that keeps coming up for us. And so why are we not telling these stories of folks who are out? Why are we not sharing this? Maybe this can inspire, maybe this can create opportunity for people to choose to do more or choose to do that on their own. And I think the great thing about commitment to employees, it's a good investment for the business, period. Does marketing live in the heart or in the head? Should you trust your instinct or your integers? If the answer is both, should you lead with one more than the other? At Mechanism, we build brands with soul and science. Soul is the blending of inspired creative that pulls an audience in, and science is the hard data to drive business results. So join me, Jason Harris, co-founder and CEO of Mechanism, on my quest to answer these questions with the world's leading marketers from the brands we've all come to love. Hello, Soul and Science listeners. Today I'm speaking with David Dancer, an accomplished CEO and six-time CMO with decades of experience driving business results for global brands and emerging startups alike, including Visa, Inspire Clean Energy, and American Express. We know David from when we worked with him and the brilliant Spike Jones to create the first ever national cannabis commercial for MedMed. Since coming out in his first job, David has been committed to the fight for LGBTQ plus workplace equality. And he recently started a new bi-weekly podcast called Clout for Good, which showcases prominent LGBTQ plus identified executives who are out in the workplace. It's really great and you should definitely check it out. But let's go back to our podcast. On today's episode, you'll learn about the value of being open and taking a risk, whether it's with a new job, a new industry, or just sharing something about yourself. You never know what opportunity is right around the corner. You also start to understand the value of networking and connecting for yourself and for the people around you. And you also find out what an important role creating and welcoming an inclusive workplace plays in driving growth, but also innovation. All right, listeners, let's dive in and fast forward our marketing minds. All right, D2. So... What is your origin story? You've worked at a lot of different companies. Um, did you start as a career marketer or did you start in some other area and find yourself gravitating toward marketing? You know, my my origin story, I'm taking it back even a step further. I'm a Midwestern guy born in Michigan, sort of traditional Midwestern experience, found myself you know, exploring and my family really supported that um, boating and skiing and outdoors and trying new things. I think that really was a good foundation for me to be able to know that there was possibility to be shown that there was um, opportunity and, you know, was in various leadership roles throughout my childhood and throughout school and through college. I was a volleyball player in college and um, really focused on team and and so then after, but my, my undergrad was in human resources, actually. So I had a mission. I remember just about ready to graduate undergrad saying, I'm going to be a chief human resources officer. I'm going to champion everything for employees. They don't ever have a seat at the table back in the nineties. And I'm going to make that happen. And, you know, I, I, I left uh, school, went to look for that first job and, 
I started interviewing for HR jobs and I realized my first HR job wasn't changing the world and sitting at the board table. It was maybe processing uh, EEOC paperwork or helping with some comp plans. And I was like, I'm not sure this is what I want to do. And I, I started my first job, Jason, actually coincidentally at an agency, a small agency in Atlanta, started working on a few accounts and just realized I loved marketing. And so I wasn't setting out to be a career marketer. I became one. And yet that training and that foundation of sort of where I came from, but also that commitment to, to human resources, that commitment to people has really served me well throughout my career. And then being on the other side as you rose in your career, and then you had perhaps employees complain about the company you were maybe running or in the C-suite, did you kind of see the other perspective of yes, we want to fight for employees, but we also have to protect the business and make sure the business is thriving. There certainly is a a business side. And I think the great thing about commitment to employees, it's a good investment for the business, period. So I think being able to understand from the business side, how human resources and how your actions to, to be su- supportive and committed to your employees can drive the business and create culture. Um, from an employee perspective, I think it probably served me well sort of on the other side, sort of more as an employee and as an advisor. How do you work with HR? How do you create plans that you can present to your upper management to make change? You know, much of change within organizations, as you know, leading leading mechanism is is it comes from employees and, and what they need and how you can support them and, and how you can create an environment that's going to be productive and satisfying for all your employees. What do you think in marketing, switching to marketing now, what do you think you're really good at that makes you a valuable marketer and maybe a skill that others might have, but maybe you're like, you know, real strong superpower in marketing, what do you think that is? You know, and I'm not sure if this is 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 only for marketing, but I think over the years, what I've realized, um, I don't know if this was because my father was in the army. I'm not sure, but I would say one thing is discipline and resilience. I think that again, maybe it's not a marketing trait. Um, you know, m- much of marketing um, today, the the function is continuing to grow and expand and includes not only brand storytelling, but performance and so other elements. But I think this resilience, you know, pick up, learn, understand, move forward, the discipline, we've got to keep going, we've got to keep moving forward. And I think another maybe a little bit more soft skill, I think, is connection. You know, whether that's connecting my employees and bringing teams together, whether that's connecting to my network and bringing people in and, and utilizing those resources. But I think those are a few things that are, they're some of my superpowers that I think that have, I've realized over the years um, have allowed me to get where I am today. A resilient connector. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. And the West Coast team worked with you on the first real big national campaign for a cannabis company and it was the new normal. That's right. Uh, and it was pretty breakthrough and, and really eye-opening. What was that experience like kind of going maybe from more financial services background? Now all of a sudden you're leading the marketing for what at the time was the preeminent cannabis company. What did you learn from that 
experience. Yeah, it's a it, it's it, it was an experience and it definitely was an exciting time right when cannabis legalization from a consumer perspective was happening. And I remember getting a call from a recruiter who simply said, please hear me out. I'd love to talk to you about this. You may say no quickly. And I said, you know, and, and I think Jason, side learning is be open to opportunities. I think, you know, one of the things that came out of that experience was really, I think, being able to work on something that the goal was trying to change perception and trying to change consumer behavior, which is not an easy thing. There's some learnings about it. I, I actually took those learnings of it, it's complicated, it's difficult, people aren't going to get on board, the channels for advertising are extremely limited, the opportunities to connect with consumers are challenging. And I now actually serve as a result of it on the Cannabis Media Council that was just formed a year ago to open up you know, publishers, under, get them to understand and educate this product should, could, and, and it should be out there, marketed. And also, one of the learnings that was really tough was, and you all may remember this on the agency side, you were really running dozens and dozens of micro campaigns because of all the state regulations. It's, it's, it's managed state by state, as we all know. And so it was really challenging. You were creating 15, 20 marketing plans for one campaign uh, that you were trying to execute that all, by the way, had different regulatory restrictions that you had to adhere to. But it was an exciting time. And I think it's great to see now that brands are evolving perceptions are changing, but I think there's a long way to go. We obviously have a long way to go with federal legalization, as well as being able to really, I think, legitimize it as a product that can be marketed nationally. You switch gears. You've had a lot of CMO experience. You did fractional CMO work for a while. You've had a, a really dynamic and remarkable career arc. What made you decide to kind of do your own consulting D2? And can you tell us the difference between working full-time at a company and then doing your new, your new gig? As with, as I mentioned earlier, I think one piece of advice I always would give people is just be open. And so one of my last um, full-time global CMO positions was coming to an end. An advisor for that company called me and said, I need, I need some help and I want to possibly catch you before you get on to your next gig. Would you do some fractional work for me? Oddly, another piece of advice I would give, keep your network active, stay connected to those that you've worked with and, and make sure you build that network over time. Someone from my network called and said, hey, I saw that you posted a thank you to your team and your, your agencies, and I'd like to see if you'd like to do some fractional work. And at the time, I had not done that type of thing. And I needed to formulate as agencies do, like you know, I had to formulate an SOW and an invoice and get everything ready to go. And quickly, both of those clients said, we'd like you to stay on for the year. This is working out great. I was splitting my time um, between the two. And so so I'd like to say it was a big plan of mine, but it sort of just happened. And I said, I'll, I'll give it a try. We'll see. I'll probably be moving on to a full-time gig. So let's just do this for 90 days. Turned into now a year and a half. And um, one of those clients has has evolved from CMO to CEO. And the other one, I'm, I'm you know, the global CMO. And it's been really fantastic. It's been, it's been really great for me to 
be able to use this accumulated IP and experience and apply it to um, two different companies and to split my time. It creates a lot of flexibility for me. And it's been, you know, really different to be able to show up and mostly be in a strategic role and have pretty clear objectives and directives. Certainly, it's it's a break, if you will, from some of the other work. Um, I've had teams of up to 150 people. And so there's a it's a very different experience sort of running my own one person show, but it's been really rewarding. And, and so for now, um, it's kind of it's what I'm focused on and what I'm committed to. You know, something that I aspire to do is never let your relationships drop to zero. Always keep that network kind of breathing and alive. Do you feel like because you were wired that way, that allowed almost the company to form around you? I think it really is a big part of it. I think, you know, when we're talking about careers and we talk about things like workforce and DEI and otherwise, you know, the first thing is always do a good job, become a master at your function and deliver. And I think so I hope that I have delivered and and that's a big part of it. And these folks know that. And then I think you're right. It's it is keeping this network open. I myself am a just such a connector and I know someone who could help you. I know someone who could be a mentor. I have a resource. And I think, you know, make taking the time to make those connections for people and taking the time to also just stay connected literally to your to your network. This is proof, you know, someone literally from my network of 20 plus years ago had literally just called me and said, hey, I have I have an opportunity for you. And so I think just staying on top of that and keeping it active, I I think you just never know where it'll go. And I think that is a huge part of it. I love that. I used to um, when we started the company, I had a very different mindset. I would um, I would hoard my contacts and I would keep it very close because I thought, if I, you know, made connections that it would mean I would get less work. And I quickly found that my network was getting smaller and smaller. And so I switched that into always saying yes and trying to look out for other people and connecting people where possible, where it makes sense. And that's really helped the growth of the company. And it's really changed my mindset. It really made a big difference. So switching gears You've been a longtime leader and fighter for workplace rights for LGBTQ+. Was that kind of from the get-go when you thought about like the employee perspective, you added that idea into it and it kind of was a thread through your career or did that come later in your career? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Jason. I actually haven't thought about that. You know, I, I think... I have been out since my first job. So I, I came out in my first job and I have always felt very strongly, be authentic, be who you are, and sort of own up to that. For me, I had the privilege to do that. It was the right space for me. Not always, not always the right space for everyone. But it wasn't until several positions in, several companies in, I'd say probably almost 10 years into my career that I really got involved and that was at Visa and I became the co-chair of their employee resource group. So, uh, and it was at the time where organizations were trying to figure out what are we offering? What does this look like? Are, are we offering at the time the fight was we need equal healthcare benefits to domestic partners at the time is all that we had, not husbands or wives. And so I got involved there and then that 
point really was um, the point where I then was fully committed and and was able to find places where I could get involved in the on the corporate side and make a difference. And so the ERG was my first step in. And then as I progressed, being able to, as an executive, get engaged in a in a really meaningful way that I could make some change. And you are the host and you started Clout for Good. Is that idea behind that to, you know, unearth conversations with folks in the industry, executives, and the challenges they face being out in the workplace, initiatives that they fought for? How do you kind of frame Cloud for Good? Yeah, how you described it, Jason, is is very close to what it is for sure. And I think, you know, some of the inspiration behind it, as I mentioned my experience, you know, still today, less than 1% of US public board seats are occupied by an LGBT person. So representation, are we there? Is our voice there? Can I, even as maybe a younger employee, can I see that there's opportunity for me? Of LGBT identified executives, a really good percentage of them are not fully out. So they may say they're out, but they may not talk about it. They may not express that they're out, you know, with with the full um, employee workforce. So again, that that shows that representation. I don't I don't see it if I'm a younger employee. And my experience on the ERG side, the employee resource group side, is I've been an executive sponsor of several, and as I mentioned, I led the one at Visa. And there's something really consistent. And I think this this doesn't just sit within an underrepresented group as like the LGBT community. But I think it's all of us, I think, in many ways. The thing that these groups want are community. And they want to bring people together. They want, you know, mentorship, connection, you know, the word that keeps coming up for us. And so I actually I thought, well, this why are we not telling these stories of folks who are out? Why are we not sharing this? Maybe this can inspire, maybe this can create opportunity for people to choose to do more or choose to do that on their own. And I thought, well, it's not a hugely innovative idea, but uh, is someone already doing this? And in fact, they weren't. You know, over Pride Month, as you know, there's this opportunity that folks jump on the Pride Wagon Corporation specifically. Occasionally, there's a, we have a gay, here's their story, and, and we tell it in June. But um, really telling stories. And I, I have to say, I'm interviewing currently, and I, I'm going to have some different guests in the future that'll tell different stories, but I've currently been focused on executives from corporations, the ex-president of the Disney stores, the current chief marketing officer of iHeartMedia the chief marketing officer of Carnival Cruise Lines, folks that identify as LGBT. And I'm realizing these are some more, these, they're more tenured employees um, like myself. And, you know, we're actually not used to people letting us tell our story. We're actually not used to talking about what we have done. We maybe say we're gay, we maybe are, we're maybe out and taking action. But I think it's been a real privilege to be able to have these conversations. My goal with it, it's a total passion project. I'm doing it because I want to tell these stories. And and my hope is it encourages a company to do more and do better. It encourages an ally to do more and do better. Maybe it encourages that tenured employee who always thought of coming out but hasn't. Maybe they will choose to come out or at least take different actions. And then really importantly, I think the sweet spot is those new to workforce uh, folks who identify as LGBTQ giving them some stories and some tools and some resources so they can navigate 
their next steps in their career because it's easy to say come out and you know some things get in the way like a paycheck and a, a desire for a promotion and there's a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety in that for people so hopefully we're we're helping them navigate when you were facing those hurdles starting out do you find that a lot of those hurdles are still here and you're surprised or do you find that um it's changed quite a bit I actually had uh, I had a conversation with an MCI colleague of mine, literally from almost 25 years ago, and we were talking about how who he also identifies as gay. Um, we were talking about how simple and easy it felt at MCI. It was a supportive environment. It was a progressive environment for whatever way. We actually literally just this last Saturday were talking about this, and I think there were out LGBT executives had some of the inspiration around clout for good that were setting that example and showing that it was okay. And then the culture just sort of followed behind that there. However, I will say, as I hear from employees, especially through clout for good and through other activities, employees who are today thinking about coming out or have recently come out in their workplace, many of the same challenges are existing. I'm getting questions, Jason. This question always makes me shake my head. So David, when you go to your C-suite meeting on Monday morning, you actually talk about your partner out loud and you talk about what you do. And so that question of the answer is of course yes. And it really really is surprising to me that we're still in that place today where that's that's the question. And so I had hoped those types of things. I'm not naive to think that they don't exist, but I had hoped they had been getting better. I'm sure they have in some places, but they still exist. Some of these really simple, how can I just show up and authentically talk about myself and feel comfortable about it? I think those fears of doing that still exist. I also haven't ever really thought about it in the context of a more high-powered traditional corporate environment. I always think that it's gotten better, but in a lot of ways, it probably hasn't really changed that much. And uh, when you look at boards, especially. That's exactly what I was going to say, Jason. I think for me, it's that, that realization that uh, this organization I'm now a part of as well called the Association of LGBTQ plus corporate directors. They're working to change that, you know, educate LGBT people on how to become a board member educate companies on why creating and, and bringing in diverse voice, voices from the LGBT community is important. And I think that stat for me was a was a real opportunity to and, and, and they recently had their first summit last week. And there's there's some progress being made. But um, but you're right. It, it is surprising that those numbers are still so low in running your own consultancy. What's the hardest part of it, Jason? You know, the hardest part I've realized, I'm a, a multitasker by nature. I thrive on change. However, I will say, taking on the responsibilities of a full-time CMO, but doing it half-time has been, um, I've had to really modulate. What, what am I doing? What am I not doing? Where am I simply fully delegating? I'm not going to be involved in those other four conversations that happen. And then also just, you know, a CMO, you don't just run this one little function. You need to understand the business, the consumer. You need to connect with the other business groups and the other audiences. So there's some of it you can't quite shortcut. You can't delegate. And so turning on company A, company B, going back and forth and juggling that, it's been 
it's been really, it's been fun actually, but it, it's sometimes it's a little challenging. I can sometimes feel a little bit overwhelmed um, by it, um, but it's been, it's been great. That's a challenge. And it's, it's also been really what I've, ex- what I've enjoyed about it is that variety and trying to figure out how to solve that. Do you have a favorite quote or mantra that you always think about or that guides you in your career or in your life? When someone shows you who they are the first time, believe them. That's Maya Angelou. It's been something that later in my life personally I've used, and I think that it actually does translate to the professional world, which is, you know, I think we, at least myself, um, very loyal, very accepting. Um, but I think, you know, you also need to decide where you're truly going to spend your time. So I think some of this has been over the years figuring out, you know, activities I'm going to participate in or relationships I'm going to keep. And I think a learning in my career, um, that I've had is you also, you don't always have all the right people and all the right partners that you need and you need to make those decisions. And, you know, I'm not saying come in and change everything, get rid of everyone. I didn't like them on Tuesday, but I mean, if, if someone's showing you they're, they're not enjoying the position, they're not the right fit from a skill set perspective. I think one of the things I've learned is take action, figure out what that looks like, make sure you can do that because it really doesn't serve anyone well if you don't make those decisions. So that quote has been important. I love that because those are always decisions we drag on. And then once we make them, we're always like, I wish I did that sooner. And usually all parties are happy. That's that's the other realization. (laughs) Um, How do you describe the David Dancer business style in one word? If you had to sum all parts up. You know, I think I might capture a word we talked about already through here, but I think it it is really about resilience for me. Resilience. It okay. really is. I think one of the things I've been encouraged and been encouraged to do on Clout for Good, make sure your guests talk about what's hard, not just that they got that they overcame it. And I think the reality is I've been let go from companies for whatever the reason is. They're restructuring, they're whatever it is. And I think it's really, really easy to take things personally and get down and how do I do it again? And I think the resilience and that that goes for marketing as well. We've tried this campaign. It's not working. What do I do? And I think this, I think resilience is a skill that is really, really important today. And I think given our the environment in the world, quite frankly, it's really important. Stay resilient, stay focused, keep trying, you know, make it happen. Where can people find, if they want to connect with you, where can they find you and where can they listen to Cloud for Good? You can certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. It's David H. Dancer. And then Clout for Good has uh, a website, cloutforgood.com. And there you can either learn more about the podcast itself, find episodes and listen to them there. And then all of the uh, links out to all the places that folks listen to podcasts are on the website as well. So and a simple shortcut, wherever you listen to podcasts, you could go find it as well. I really like this question. What is a unpopular but an important decision you've made? You felt people were against you, but you pushed for it. And um, it was important that you stood your ground. Yeah, that's a good question, Jason. Um, Probably that unpopular decision, and I'm not sure if it was unpopular or there was just difference of opinion, is, you know, fighting for inclusion in actual marketing. So I have had um, several examples in my career where when we are doing 
casting when we're talking about storyline. And um, there's been a desire to ensure that we are um, showing representation and inclusion in advertising. I think there's some examples there, um, a couple of specific examples where I've, I really had to go to the mat and really had to, I found myself in situations that felt a little more heated, uncomfortable, not fun. Um, and fortunately, this isn't a little bit, I told you so, but maybe it is kind of, that after those those campaigns launched, getting recognized for the inclusion that they, they portrayed um, by the marketing industry, and driving results that exceeded expectations. So I think it's worth it. And I think, you know, we do have a business case for inclusion. We have a business case for diversity, but it does take sometimes some really tough conversations. And I was a CMO arguing for this, uh, and I had the power to do that. And in the end, um, even through the argument was given the decision-making ability, and then that result paid off. So, So it was worth it. You're fighting for what's right, but you're also you're also aligning it to the corporate need for growth and results. And I think that's a good way to fight the battle because you're doing it with a little soul and a little science, which is the results, but you're doing it for a higher good. But you also know you have to show at the end of the day, look, the reason why we did this is X, Y, and Z. And I think that's a really good learning. That's exactly right. All right. Awesome. Well, I'll let you go. And Thanks so much for being on Soul and Science. Jason, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to Soul and Science, and we'll see you next week. Soul and Science is a mechanism podcast produced by Maggie Bowles, Brian Tillotson, Grace Robert, and Lily Jablonski. The show is edited by Daniel Ferreira with theme music by Kyle Merritt. And I'm your host, Jason Harris. Jason Harris.